0: let's get into today's uh, story. We're gonna be going over the story of Joseph. And so many of you, uh, again, have been reading this. Uh, if you haven't been reading it this past week, I'm sure that you've read it or heard about it at some point. And uh, what we're gonna seek to do is really go through the entire story and get some, uh, some bits and pieces out and how it applies to our life. And um, it's one of those good stories, a good ending, right? It's like a good feel good ending. And so we'll all leave here happy and excited, all right? But it's, a, it's just a good story. But there's a whole lot of ups and downs in this story. And so we're gonna kind of take the journey along with Joseph. But uh, we're gonna start in Genesis 37. And just to kind of let you know who Joseph is, he is the son of Israel or Jacob. And uh, uh, he's actually... He's kind of like a church kid, all right? He's got a really, really uh, spiritual family, all right, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I mean, he's got a good lineage going on, and uh, here he is born into it. How many church kids do I have? Like, you were raised in church, and yeah, quite a few raised in church. Uh, I was—I still am a pastor's kid. I guess you never stop being a pastor's kid. If you were a pastor kid at some and that's what you are. So uh, so I'm still, in, I'm still sane, um, I think, I think, so... But, uh, but yeah, that's where Joseph's at, man. He's a church kid. Uh, he's kind of like the goody two-shoe. You know what I'm saying? He's always done things the right way. And uh, so this is Joseph. We're gonna pick up verse two in chapter 37. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring uh, the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. All right, verse three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other uh, any other of his of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made them a robe. He made him a robe of many colors. Uh, that's very nice, huh? This kind of sounds weird nowadays, but uh, that was a big deal. It made him a, a robe, it's a very colorful robe. And, uh, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So you kind of get the picture here. His brothers are upset with him. Uh, favor ain't fair, you know what I'm talking about, and, and, and haters gonna hate, and so that's what his brothers are doing. They're hating on him, they can't speak peacefully to him, they don't like Joseph. Joseph's a young guy. So verse five, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed, behold, which anytime you start a sentence with behold, uh-oh. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Just let that resound for a second. That's awkward, all right? So so there's an awkward silence, and, um, and then his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. like his dreams, but just his words. Like anything he said at this point, they hate. It could be good things and they're still, just be quiet, just stop speaking. And he's kind of annoying them. So verse nine, then he dreamed another dream. And again, he told it to his brothers. Joseph, come on, bro. And said... Behold, (laughs) oh man, stop saying behold. I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what's your dream that you have dreamed? What's this thing about? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come down to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but... His father kept it in mind. He kept it in mind. He said, you know, I've seen some pretty, I've seen God say some pretty crazy things in my lifetime. I've heard some crazy stories from my dad and, and his dad. And you know what I'm talking about? Abraham, all this kind of stuff. And uh, so he says, you know, I'm, I'm gonna rebuke him for right now, but I'm gonna remember what he said. But what you can kind of get a feel for here is that Joseph was a young guy, number one, but he was a little bit cocky. All right, he was a little prideful. There, there was something in him that was uh, annoying other people in what he would say, how he would say it. And although it was true what he had to say, God did give him a dream. It was a, a definite thing that God had spoken to him. The, the, w- the route that he went, it produced, uh, it produced some negativity. And I think there might've slightly been a little bit of pride in Joseph. Come on, man, he was, he was favored. He had the, he had the robe, all right. He had the robe of many colors, and uh, he wore it proudly. And then he had these great dreams, and the robe, the dream, let's do this thing, man. God's got some great things for me. And uh, he starts talking too much, and then it starts formulating his reputation. And then his brothers, they just completely, they can't stand him. And, uh, and so this is what ends up happening is they, they end up taking Joseph and they end up tearing his robe off, they end up putting blood on it, and they end up telling his dad that he's dead and he got attacked by something and his dad's you know, just completely distraught about it. But they take Joseph and they, they throw him in a pit. Now some of them wanted to kill him and, uh, and one stood up for him and said, come on guys, let's not do that. And they decided just to throw him in a pit. So he's in a pit, he's, he's stuck there. And um, I think that's kind of our first point today is number one, that pride leads to a pit. How many of you have ever been in a pit because you were prideful? I'll raise this hand and then I will completely follow it with this hand, all right? Two hands, all right? Even in the moments when you're right, y'all know what I'm talking about, that you're right. What you're saying is right, but the way you're saying it is prideful and so therefore it's wrong been there so many times, all right? Take a fact, take something that I read out of the Bible and be like, yes, the Lord spoke this. Hey, everyone, the Lord spoke this, and then people don't receive it, you know what I'm saying? Why? Well, sometimes I think as Christians, we get this thing, it's pride, but we attach the word spiritual pride to it because Whenever we think of pride, we think of just being, you know, cocky and just everything you do prideful. But when it comes to Christianity, a lot of times we can actually get wrapped up in spiritual pride. People refer to it as being a Pharisee, right? Things like that. But it's this spiritual pride, which is kind of like, look how far I've come. Look how good I am, right? And, And all of you should see how good I am and be like me. But it's really just rooted in a simple thing called pride. And that is a, pride is a trap, and a lot of times the only way that we learn humility, which is the opposite of pride, is by getting tossed in a pit. And it might not be physically, but it might be your reputation gets tossed in a pit. It might be your influence. It might be you know your marriage gets tossed in a pit because you're just prideful. There's no humility in you, and and this is where Joseph's at. He's having to learn a lesson. Now, uh, what we're going to see in this story is that no matter where Joseph goes. The Bible says that God is with them. The Lord is with them, which is phenomenal. I think that first off, we have to know that God is always with us. He's always for us. He's not against us. He's not standing over us with a sledgehammer waiting for us to mess up so he can just destroy us, destroy our lives, right? But so God is with him, but it doesn't mean that things don't get bad. And and Joseph, he's in a pit and some Ishmaelites come come riding by And his brothers sell him to these Ishmaelites. They sell him into slavery. And uh, they sell him for 20 shekels, which is interesting because that's actually the cost at that time of a crippled slave. So he goes from prominent man favor in the house, 17 years old. He knew he had a good life ahead of him. And he ends up in a place where he's getting sold as a slave, number one, but also a crippled slave. So that, that took a shot at Joseph's pride, for sure. Uh, took a, a shot at a lot of other things that we're gonna see as well, but, but uh, he ends up getting sold to slavery. He ends up getting sold to a man named Potiphar, who is one of Pharaoh's officers in Egypt and a high-ranking official, a lot of money, and Pot- uh, he gets sold to Potiphar. And Joseph was spotted by Potiphar, and he was really good at whatever he did. And you'll see all throughout the story, everything that Joseph did, he excelled in. He always had favor on him. I mean, you, you drop him off anywhere and he just rose to power, you know, and you're gonna see this through the story. And it's no different at this moment. He's a slave, sold to Potiphar. And all of a sudden, guess what? He starts getting more responsibility and he does well with that responsibility. He does, he, you know, the Bible talks about being faithful in the little and God will, will give you much. He's faithful in what he's got, even in slavery. Potiphar ends up putting him over his entire house. Says, man, you're so good at everything that you do I want you to be in charge of everything that I've got going on. Uh, so while Potiphar takes notice, also Potiphar's wife takes notice. Now Potiphar's wife was, um, was probably a good looking human being, okay? She is, uh, I mean, come on, Potiphar's the Egyptian officer. And uh, so he's gonna have everything that he wants. And uh, so he's got this wife and she notices Joseph. And she notices Joseph. And she begins to pursue Joseph and begin to seduce him and try to get him to, uh, to sleep with her. And we're gonna see the, the struggle that Joseph's in in this moment, and it's uh, chapter 39, verse nine. This is, a, this is where he's actually talking to Potiphar's wife. He says, uh, Potiphar, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin? And I wanna bold this in your minds, uh, sin against God. I think it's a big deal that Joseph's perspective in this moment is that if he sins, if he does this, it's not against Potiphar or Potiphar's wife or it could be bad for his reputation, right? It's that it would displease the heart of God. And so he says, how could I do this wickedness and the sin against God? That right there is a giant mindset, A lot of times we're okay with doing things wrong if we don't get caught, right? Not realizing, of course, and it's cliche nowadays, but we still don't always obey it, is that God sees everything. God sees everything that we do. He knows our thoughts. He knows the patterns in which we live. And so even if nobody's looking, it still matters what we do. And you've gotta believe that, and that's gotta be a conviction in your life that says, hey, look, I don't even care if I don't get caught. It's just not the right thing to do. Nobody will ever know that I said this lie. It's impossible, I just, I know it. But I'm not gonna do it because it's a sin against God, right? That's an internal conviction that nobody can put on you. That's between you and God, and Joseph has this conviction. But what we see is that this is a giant test of purity for Joseph, a big test, and more specifically in the area of sexual purity, and come on, our, our nation, our world is just infected with sexual impurity. For all of time, it's always nothing new. By the way, the things that we're experiencing in our nation, it's nothing new. Okay, let's go ahead and back away just for a moment. It's not things are getting rough. No, they've always been rough, okay? It's always been bad. Let's read some history. Sexual sin and perversion has just been there since the beginning of time. It's just been an an issue. It ruins marriages. It ruins relationships. It brings down kings and kingdoms, and it's just, it's an infection. And and it's something that we're all going to be tested in, the, the area of purity. Now, whenever we're tested in the area of purity, we got... A choice to make, whether we will side with what the Bible says about sexual things and and how that's supposed to operate, or we side with culture and how we feel about it, uh, which I the things I usually, how I usually feel about something, that's usually not the right thing, all right? I mean, most times whenever I'm like, I just really feel that I need to, it's usually like not the right decision, you know, because it might be rooted in something that's a very, that's a, a, a problem, something wrong with me. And so if we, if we base everything off what we feel, it's not gonna turn out well, and it won't be holy, all right? And so, so this thing of sexual purity, it's a, it's a cultural problem. And let me tell you something, you've got to know what you believe And you gotta know that what you believe is based upon what the Bible says about it, not based on your friend's opinion or your family experience, all right? I think family experience is something that's huge. Well, my dad always did this, and my parents were like this, and I grew up in an environment that was like this. And it's very true. And look, the way that we're raised and the way that we think is formed by those environments. But... We go to the word of God. So then you have to read the word of God and allow it to then form your thinking and form your standards. Not that what you feel will always align with that, but it doesn't matter. It can't matter, all right? So so that's a very difficult thing to to say and really culturally it's not um, acceptable, but it it doesn't matter. That's what the Bible says and that's what we believe, all right? So so this thing of purity, uh, it's been going on for a long time and Joseph has to walk through this test. Now, Joseph, again, he's the big man on campus. I mean, this guy, he's, you know, he's basically getting control over everything that Potiphar's got going on. So nobody's gonna say anything about it, again. Honestly, I actually think the opposite. I think that everybody knew what was going on, all right? And I think that the guys that worked with him were actually kind of egging it on Okay, let's think about some of you guys where you work. You know what I'm saying? The guys are, it's almost like a, an environment that invites that kind of stuff. And it's, everybody knows Potiphar's wife likes Joseph. And so they're like, come on, Joseph. Come on, dog. Yeah. He's like, no, no. They're like, oh, come on, Joseph. Dude, if that was me, I tell you, I, yeah. You know? Yeah. y'all." come on, we we dehumanize these type of stories. And it's like, that's what's going on here. There's peer pressure. There's pressure from Potiphar's wife. He's got it coming from all sides. And yet he stands tall, but it's not over. Let's pick up in verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. I love it. Stop speaking to me. To lie beside her or to be with her. I just picture her walking up in the room that he's working in and, you know, changing a light or something like that. And she's like, hello, Joseph. <laughs> and he's like, all right, this, it can stay dark in here. He just rolls out. You know what I'm saying? He's like, no, 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 no. We ain't doing this. So he's refusing. He's, he's not making an opportunity. Let me, let me camp out there for a moment. He, <laughs> sometimes we create opportunity for things to happen and we say it was an accident I don't know how I ended up in that compromising situation. I don't know, all of a sudden it was just me and her. Whoops, yeah, okay. You know what I'm talking about? Now, he knew, he knew, he was aware and he didn't let those little opportunities happen in the first place. And so, so he, uh, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Verse 11, but one day when he went to the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by the garment She caught him by his jacket, his robe, and said, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. This dude's for real. I mean, he's been leaving rooms and, you know, leaving light bulbs wherever, whatever, you know. This time he's like, I don't even care if I got to run out with no clothes on. Like, I'm out, you know, which that would look kind of weird as well. But he says, Forget about it. I'm out. He leaves his robe with her. And I think it's really interesting. He lost his robe the first time. And it was because of pride. This time he lost it, his identity, his power, who he was because he passed the test, because he passes the test, he does good. But it still didn't end up the way that, that you would think it should end up because it was a good decision, right? Actually, she lies about him and he ends up going to prison because Potiphar sides with his wife, which always happens, right, men? I ain't fighting that. <laughs> I'd rather send a man to, a man to prison than uh, fight fight this. Anyway, so uh, it's not about marriage today, but I mean, you know. (laughs) Anyway, he passes the test, but he still ends up in prison, which I think is important to say that righteous decisions uh, don't always equal a right result. Righteous decisions don't always equal the best result. Like you know, I did good here and here, so therefore the result of that should be good here. Because we have this mentality that if I do good, then I, I, I am good, therefore everything I'm a part of is good. And the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible never depicts that. That's just our humanity. That's uh, it's our, our wishful thinking that gets, gets you know, uh, it's just mapped out for us in, our, in the way that we're, we're built. But the, the, the fact is that life's not fair. It's just not fair. Never has been, never will be. Uh, The Bible talks about how it rains on the just and the unjust, all right? It doesn't matter who you are and how good you've been or how bad you've been. The same rain that falls, falls on those who are doing good and also doing evil. And uh, so good things do happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, all right? So we are establishing that uh, righteous decisions don't always equal a right result. It doesn't mean that you should stop making righteous decisions, all right? You continue to be faithful in those things. But I think that this is a why God moment for Joseph, You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Whenever you've you've been doing good or whatever, but you still end up in in a disappointment, and you end up at some point in your life having that question of, why does it have to be like this? Why God? I mean, why me? I think everybody in this room at some point or another has asked that question, why me? I look out and I see positive things, you know, all these people with all this good stuff happening, but it's just me. And I think, honestly, that's a ploy of the enemy. I think that's a deceptive thing that he plants, which means that you're the only one going through what you're going through. You're the only one that has been where you're at in your life, and that's a lie, okay? There's nothing new under the sun, okay? Everybody's been where you are, and so you should find some, some, uh, some hope in that and, uh, and realize that, hey man, I've gotta walk through some things sometimes. It doesn't mean I throw my hands up in the air and quit. The Bible talks about how a righteous person gets up. You're gonna fall, you're gonna fail. Continue to move forward. Don't let those why God, why me moments uh, stunt your growth and stunt your progression. But it does not negate the fact that Joseph is in a pit. It doesn't matter how he, he looks at it. It doesn't matter how many scriptures, right, that he attaches to that trial. He's still in a pit. And that pit is a place of disappointment. And that's where he finds himself. But again, the Lord was with Joseph. Everywhere he went, God was with him. And also he had character that people would see and he would just begin to move his way up the ranks. And that's what happens in prison. He ends up over the prison. The warden sees him, sees that he's doing good and everything that he does and ends up putting him in charge of basically everything in the prison, which is awesome. I mean, if I'm in prison, I'm just hiding, okay? (laughs) Just just hiding from everyone, (laughs) He takes charge, man. So, um, so what happens is, and you can read the story, I'm not gonna be able to go through all of the details, but uh, remember that thing of him interpreting dreams and having the dreams? He has this gift that God has given him that at first, I don't think he really knew how to use very well, and I think he kind of wore it as a badge, right? So as he's going through this process, I believe that God's like, hey, I did put something in you, and I wanna develop that. So he's in prison and these two guys have a dream. They're, they're distraught about it. He's like, hey guys, what's up? They tell him what the dream is. He interprets the dream. And uh, one's a, a baker and one's a cupbearer for Pharaoh. These are high ranking guys as well. They did something that upset Pharaoh They're in prison. And they're about to get released or, or about to, to go out from the prison. And he's like, hey, hey man, don't forget about me, okay? I'm helping you out, did this for you. Don't forget, if things work out good for you, remember, Guy here, you know. Remember that story, the coat of many colors. I'm that guy. Remember me. He's using every memory peg he can to try to get these guys to remember him. One guy ends up dead. The other guy ends up restored, and he forgets him. He forgets all about him. Can you imagine Joseph's probably chilling in prison, and um, it's been like a week, and then it's like a month, and then it's six months, and then it's a year, and it's a year and a half, and he just gives up. He's been forgotten. He's been rejected. This guy, honestly, I have a lot of respect for Joseph because um, I don't know how I would have reacted in these situations. I probably would have had a lot of anger going on, all right? And then anger at a guy like this, like a cupbearer. Like, dude, come on. Seriously, I helped you out and you're still gonna lead me down here. He's in a place of rejection. He was there uh, for two years, Forgotten, and uh, and it kind of seems like every step that Joseph takes forward in his life, there's two steps back. You know, there's and maybe maybe some of you have been there where, you know, you, you you try you try to start moving forward, and maybe it's like three years, four years, five years, and you're like doing good, and then all of a sudden something happens that sets you back, and you feel like you're not only at square one that you, but that you actually almost lost ground because your faith this time is hurt. You know, because you, you thought that you were moving forward and you really weren't the whole time. And that, is, that attacks you and attacks your morale and can really cause depression and other things, you know, if, if you don't keep the proper mindset. But I believe that Joseph does keep the proper mindset. I believe that he continues to stay faithful to God. And therefore, God was faithful to him, God was with him. And uh, it's a couple of, couple of years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And guess what? He needs somebody to interpret that dream. And the cupbearer is like, oh, <laughs> oh man, oh this is bad. This is bad. There was a guy, his name was Joseph, yes, he he interprets dreams. I was supposed to tell you about him a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, can you imagine? The cupbearer comes down he's like, hey man, sorry, Joseph, don't talk to me. You know, it's just, so Joseph, he gets cleaned up. He heads out there, he interprets Pharaoh's dream and dream, uh, the Pharaoh is very, very pleased with it. Uh, he's excited about it. And so we're gonna pick up uh, in chapter 41. This is Pharaoh talking to Joseph. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, There is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. This guy has gone from his daddy's house to a pit, to Potiphar's house, to prison. And now he's going, I mean, he is going way above anything that he had been a part of before. And now he's gonna be number two in the, the most prominent place in the world. Number two, basically over every single human being. Now, I personally see a progression here in many different ways, but also in the gift that Joseph has. And I believe that there was a refinement that took place in his gift and in the thing that God had given to him, a talent that he had given given him. And so really the gift that put him in the pit was the same gift that ended up putting him in the palace. And I think that's awesome. I love that God gave him something, he stewarded it well, not always perfect, but continued in the process. And although that same situation took him all over the place, the Lord was with him and eventually it made a way for him and he's in the palace. Some of you today need to know that you need to remain faithful in the dream and the things that God has given you. Remain faithful in them. And even though sometimes maybe that maybe that integrity that you have seems to take you into a pit, right? Because you wouldn't compromise. I'm telling you, yeah. continue to be faithful in that and God will restore what was taken away. And, and you will end up in a place that you look back and you say, Wow, I was about to compromise everything I had to stay in Potiphar's house whenever God had a palace for me. And I'm telling you, some of you need to realize that. Yeah, that was a good moment, come on. on. Because it's so easy for us to compromise. It's so easy for us to to look at the temporary and say it's easier to do this right now than to say, hey, I I believe staying faithful to God would be a better result, all right, and, and, and even now in this story, the palace ends up in Joseph's life. I think sometimes the rewards that we will get, we won't see in this life. It's a, an eternal reward. And again, for you to cross over into that mindset, you, you've really gotta be spiritual. You've really gotta be a person that has an eternal mindset, because if not, what's the point, right? This is not about all what happens in this life. And so Joseph's in a place now of promotion, prominence, power, he's number two in all of Egypt. Um, And you think, hey, he's good, thumbs up. Joseph passed the tests, all right, here we go. Now he's just gonna, it's happily ever after. But this is where we're gonna see another test that I think a lot of us are not prepared for and we don't see coming, and it's the test of success. The test of success. Now, anytime that somebody's doing a pressure test on something, say it's a component, I mean, a a test of some sort, there's a negative and a positive pressure test that you can do. There's a, a push and a pull, right? There's two ways, two forces, to see if something can test the pressure. And whenever we talk about tests and going through tests, it's always negative. It is, right? It's always like you lost all your money or relationships fell apart, you hit rock bottom, and that's a place of testing. But I want you to know that there's also a test and success whenever things are really good. A lot of times in that place, you're tested in how dependent you will remain upon God, right? how dependent and uh, whether you'll stay, say, humble. All right, Pride is really tested in times of success, but there's a lot of different ways that it gets tested, but we're gonna see how it happens with Joseph because just because things are good doesn't mean they're easy, all right? Just because things are good doesn't, does not mean they're easy or that they will remain easy. And, and we're just coasting through this thing. And so, so here we are, there's a famine in the land, which is actually what Joseph had, had interpreted the dream about. It was about a famine. And so Pharaoh puts him over uh, all of Egypt, but also this process of how to save and store food and all this good stuff. And so uh, the famine has, by the way, it's reached out past just where they're at and it's affecting everyone. And Joseph's in charge of it, which is just crazy. So here we go. Let's pick up in uh, verse six. It says, now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all people of the land. And Joseph's, Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. That's interesting. That sounds familiar. Verse seven, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and he spoke roughly to them. "'Where do you come from?' he said. "'They said, "'From the land of Canaan to buy food.' "'And Joseph recognized his brothers, "'but they did not recognize him. "'And Joseph remembered the dreams "'that he had dreamed of them.'" Come on, what a weird moment right there. I mean, just full circle. "'And he said to them, "'You're spies. "'You have come to see the nakedness of the land.' "'They said to him, "'No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. "'We're all sons of one man. "'We're we're honest men. "'Your servants have never been spies.'" I mean, you can imagine, a little bit scared, number two, in all of Egypt, you don't want to make this guy angry, all right? Verse 17, and he put them all together in custody for three days. He arrested them. Now, you could just read that and move on, and just on the third day, blah, 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 but let's just camp there for a moment. He arrested them, So here he is, he sees them, they don't recognize him. At that moment, he could just totally be like, hey guys, what's up man, this is crazy. But it's not that easy. There is a, there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity, he could kill these guys, take them out and nobody's gonna say anything. Not bat an eye, and if they bat an eye, then they're gonna get killed too, okay? That's the kind of power that he holds. And so in these three days, I don't think that he just forgot about his brothers and he went on with life. I think that he was struggling. I think that he was debating. I think that he was wrestling, once again, that same pride that was whenever he was 17 years old, I think it came full circle right back. And now he's like, not only, not only do I still have that dream, and not only did they just bow to me, now I've got the power to do what I want and nobody can say anything. I think it was a whole another test that he had never felt before. He had always been on the other end And so I think now it's the question of one of the most powerful things that all of us can do as a person, and that is to forgive. That is where he's at now. Do I forgive this? He was 17 years old, he's a kid. They destroyed his future. They threw him in a pit. They had no idea where he went. They had no idea what happened. They just figured, hey man, you're a slave. Maybe he died, I don't know. And he knew that that was the kind of disrespect they had for him. And here he is in a moment where they have to respect him. And now he has to choose whether to whether forgive. You know, I, I think a lot of times we could pass the test of pride and purity. We get humble, purity, we, we make the right choices. But, but what about payback? What about vengeance? We are programmed if somebody hurts us to wanna to hurt them back. That is how we operate in the, in the, the core of, of our sinful selves. It's this retribution must be had. I've got to I gotta make him pay for what he did. And, and I think even deeper, I was just talking to a guy a while ago, he said, you know, a lot of times I might not be the one that instigates the pain, but I do rejoice whenever they go through pain, basically. And y'all know, right now in our country, right, we like to see people that we are not for and something bad happened to them. We're like, well, that's what they get, right? And sometimes it's, it is true. Well, I mean, hey, if you wouldn't have been there at that time, it wouldn't have happened. I mean, that's the, that's the truth. There's a difference between saying that and then like, oh, that's what you, that's what you deserve. That's, man, what a prideful thing to say. We say it all the time. We do. That, I mean, can we just be honest today? It doesn't matter who's right or wrong, but what's my heart in the situation? And so here's Joseph Man, he done everything right. But is he gonna forgive? Is he gonna is he gonna do payback? Is he gonna what's the deal? Well, let's see his response. It's in chapter 42. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest, your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, and trust we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we didn't listen. That is why the distress has come upon us. And Reuben, this is the guy that, that rooted for Joseph, that he didn't want him to kill him. He said, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And this is really just a big moment. Number 23, verse 23. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he, and, and then it goes on to the story, goes into basically what happens. But at that moment, whenever he, he was overtaken in this, um, in guilt, really. I mean, can you imagine the struggle, the emotional struggle that he's going through where, I mean, he's angry, but then he sees his brothers and he hears what they say and he's broken, he's broken. He turned away and wept. Chapter 50, let's see Joseph's response. Then Joseph could not control, this is chapter 45, and Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near to him. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine at this moment how much fear his brothers have? Now they realize who he is. At first they were just scared because there's this guy that's obviously mad at them for whatever reason, he thinks he's a spy. Now they realize this is the guy they threw in a pit. But he says, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. This is another huge perspective. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. First of all, Joseph chooses to forgive because his perspective is one that says, God, God sent me here. He has this proper perspective. But can I tell you what this story really means and what this story really represents? You are not Joseph. We are not Joseph in this room. We are the brothers. Jesus is Joseph. Jesus is represented here perfectly through what Joseph does. Joseph was the favorite son. Joseph did everything right. Joseph ends up at the end, seated to the right hand of Pharaoh, basically, number two in everything. He has all power, all authority. He can carry out judgment in this moment, and it would be okay, but he chooses not to. And I'm here to tell you today, this whole thing came up to this moment, is that we're here. We're the brothers our sin put Jesus on the cross. There's nothing that we can do to take that away. That is a fact. Our sin nature, our sin, the sin problem that we inherit, and the only way for us to have a preserved life. This is what, that's what Joseph said. I've, I've been here to preserve life for you. The only way that we could take part in that is by bowing our knee before Jesus. That's it. That is, that's the whole thing. That's where everything comes to is that we are forgiven by grace, not because what we do. There was nothing that Joseph's brothers could do. There was no amount of money that was gonna pay, pay off Joseph. There was, what, that doesn't mean, he's got everything that he, he can ever possibly want. He's got all power. He's got all authority. They had nothing, but they had to receive mercy and grace in that moment to have life. And so today, there's many of you in this room right now that you're at church because it's the good thing to do. And that's what you're supposed to be on Sunday, right? You're here, you're hearing a sermon and you're seeing all these pitfalls, you're seeing these highs and lows in the story of Joseph and you're seeing yourself in it. But right now I wanna see you more importantly, I want you to see yourself more importantly before Jesus, before God, with all of your rags and nothing really to offer but his mercy and his grace outstretched to you right now. Because no matter, no matter what we think or feel, God's mercy always triumphs judgment, all right? And we have to remember that because again, a lot of times we have this picture that God's standing over us with the sledgehammer ready just to destroy us because for some weird reason, he's got this rage against us, but he doesn't hate us. He hates sin. We hate sin, but he loves the people. He loves you. He cares for you. That's why he sent Jesus in the first place. It wasn't easy for God to do that. That wasn't a, 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 just a given. That was a son. That was part of who he is. But he gave it so that in a moment like now, we could have the option to choose Jesus, to get saved, to be born again. Some of you, you really, like what you're thinking right now is I really wish I I just had a new start because life is just not what I thought it was gonna be. I've made terrible decisions. I need this fresh start. And another way of putting that is I need to be born again. And not just born again physically, but born again spiritually where like you come alive. And so right now I'm gonna give that opportunity for for you guys to respond to that, but I'm not gonna do anything weird. I'm not gonna like bring you up to the front and embarrass you and, and do something like that. But I am gonna ask you to do one thing in a second. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in a moment. And and that's not so we see and all that kind of stuff, but it's because there is something something powerful about raising your hand and saying, that's me and admitting it. We'll never get away from that. There's something that just says, and it's a moment that you'll be able to look back to and say, that was the moment that I chose Jesus and something happened. I wanna give that opportunity to you today, all right? Let's bow our heads. Close your eyes and just... Just think about where you're at in your life. And many of you right now, you already know, you already feel that tension inside of you. You already know where you've been and it's like, it's not a good place. Some of you have come here as a skeptic and and right now God's just softened your heart and you realize, man, I need Jesus. I need to choose Jesus. I need God's forgiveness in my life. I've tried it on my own and it's left me here. I need a change. I need Jesus. And if that's you, I just wanna pray with you. If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand right now all over the room. Come on, there's hands all over the place. Yeah, come on. God's mercy is here, his love is here, his grace is here. He's for you, I see you. He's for you, he's not against you. Mercy triumphs judgment and that is such a great thing. All over the hands still, all over the room, hands still going up, come on, it's great. Compassion is here. This is good. This is good. Anybody else in here who you've tried this thing multiple times and today it's time for something different, but you might be having the hurdle right now of I've tried this before. I've made this commitment before and I just keep messing up and I, I keep failing and I I'm just living in in guilt, and I don't wanna do it again. Come on, right here, I see you. Who else? Right over here. The thing about Jesus is that he doesn't quit reaching out. I see you right here in the middle. So come to Jesus. He'll give you life, he'll give you freedom, give you peace, give you joy, It's not based on your circumstance, but it's based on his love for you. This is what we're gonna do, I'm gonna pray. And I don't want you to repeat after me. I want you to pray to your God, to your savior, and commit your life to him. So let's pray together. God, I come before you. Lord, you know my current situation. You know where I've been, how many times I've tried this, or or I'm just at the end of who I am. And God, I am humble at this moment. I am broken. And Father, I'm at your mercy. And so Jesus, I bring everything that I am to you. I bring my effort. I bring my success. I bring my failure, my pride, my inability. God, my doubts. I bring it all and I give it to you because I I can't handle this. And Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. I receive the gift of salvation that you bought on the cross where you shed your innocent blood to pay the price for my sin, for my shame, for my fear. And right now, God, I reach out and I grab hold of your hand of grace and mercy. You're my hope, you're my purpose. All that I am is found in you. My identity is in you, not in my ability anymore. So Jesus, forgive me, wash me clean. Let me start this day anew, God, born again by your spirit. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the cross. I paid the price for my sin and gives me victory. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for those who gave the hearts to God?
1: If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today, we'll see you next time.